Joe Biden says he's Catholic, but thinks abortion is mostly fine. The Supreme Court rules against the independent state legislature theory, and a second Biden whistleblower emerges. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Protect your online privacy today at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Well, one of the common features of religious practice these days is that religion has been hollowed out in a lot of ways by paganism. Pagan value systems have crept into our churches, into our synagogues, even into some mosques. And they've basically taken over and they're wearing around the institutional face as sort of a skin mask, Hannibal Lecter style. And nowhere is this truer than when it comes to Democratic Party Catholics who proclaim that they are pro-abortion. Joe Biden has been doing this for years. I frankly do not understand under Catholic doctrine how this is acceptable in any way, shape or form. Catholicism is obviously extraordinarily pro-life, that is from the papacy on down. And yet Joe Biden, the Catholic president of the United States, who is constantly talking about how Catholic he is while flying the Pride Progress flag from the center of the White House rotunda and featuring various trans influencers jiggling at their breasts. Uh, that, that same Catholic president also said yesterday that abortion, pretty important, and he kind of is into it. He said on Tuesday that while he is not big on abortion as a practicing Catholic, he says, you know what? Roe versus Wade got it right. Quote, I'm a practicing Catholic. I'm not big on abortion, but guess what? Roe versus Wade got it right. Headline here, practicing Catholic, 65% disagrees with Catholicism. So that is exciting, exciting stuff. He then passed, he then criticized states that have passed laws restricting access to abortion at all. Presumably he's in favor of abortion being available pretty much under all circumstances. He has been asked publicly in the recent past about what restrictions on abortions he thinks would be appropriate, and he refuses to answer the question. So the answer, of course, is none. And this is the same sort of answer given by the very, very Catholic Nancy Pelosi, who is so Catholic that when she's not promoting same-sex marriage, she's also promoting abortion on demand. The, the Hill tries to clean up after the president, saying the president's discomfort with abortion, which is fueled by his Catholicism and personal stance on the issue, was in the spotlight last year when Roe was overturned. But he has taken steps unilaterally to protect access to abortion pill and to increase contraception and family planning, among other moves. So what other non-Catholic and pagan things can Joe Biden do as a religious person? And again, this only becomes relevant in the context of the fact that we are an increasingly pagan society. So I think that there was a, a general perception back in, say, the 1990s that there was such a thing as neutrality. that In the public space, in the law, you could find politically neutral. That existed. So for most of American history, the Judeo-Christian value system was the value system that simply prevailed. It was in the water. It was in the air. It was the thing that we all sort of relied upon to the point where even I, a child in the early 1990s, going to a local public school in Burbank, California, they would have like a Christmas play and I would play an elf as an Orthodox Jewish kid because the simple fact of the matter was that the value system that was sort of internalized by the American body politic was a Judeo-Christian value system. And then the left said, wait, that's a value system and it's discrimination. If we even have that value system present in any way, shape or form, we need a perfectly neutral space, absolutely anodyne. And it turns out that what they meant was not a neutral space. What they meant was a space cleansed of all Judeo-Christian tradition. If you cleanse a space of Judeo-Christian tradition, what fills that space is paganism. What fills that space, because people have a need to worship, they have a need for a value system that's going to fill that vacuum. What fills that vacuum is the old stuff that was there before the Judeo-Christian value system. And that system of thought generally believes that what happens in the universe is absolutely not understandable, that the world around us is a place of chaos, that pure will and subjective intent is what matters more than anything else in life, and that all forms of morality, except for ones that are quote-unquote judgmental, actually are just variations on the same theme. And this, of course, leads to, in the end, an enormous amount of narcissism, a belief that the entire world must be bent 
only to your whim, that your self-interest is the key to everything, sexually, morally, when it comes to things like abortion. You can see how deeply this rot has penetrated via an article in the New York Times that is out today. The Democrats want to run on abortion. The reason they want to run on abortion in the national election next time is because they ran on abortion in the last election cycle and they did better than expected in places like Kansas and places like Michigan. The reason for that is because the sort of broad spectrum average public opinion in the United States when it comes to abortion is somewhere between pro-life and pro-abortion. In other words, most people in America believe that abortion is a bad thing, but most people in America also want abortion to be available at least in the early stages of pregnancy. Now, that's obviously not logically sustainable. I'm as pro-life as it's possible to be. From point of conception, you now have a human life with potential. It's as simple as that, just from a logical, moral point of view. But people don't vote logically or morally. People vote based on kind of what they just have a general feeling about. And the general feeling in the United States is that abortion after about week 10, week 12, is really egregious. And then they want availability for abortion, at least on the federal level, before week 10. Now, again, when I say the average opinion, I'm not talking about the average opinion in Alabama. That's very different than the average opinion in California. The average opinion in California is that you should be able to abort your seven-year-old. The average opinion in Alabama is much more like mine. Okay, but when you average those things out, that tends to be the broad spectrum. So what happened is that in the aftermath of Roe versus Wade being overturned, there were a lot of states where the pro-lifers, people like me, pushed very hard for the principled pro-life position, no abortions after conception, basically, except for life of the mother, for example. And the reaction to that by a lot of people on the left was, okay, we're just going to go for broke in the opposite direction. And because the average opinion in a state like Michigan is probably somewhere around the 10-week mark, when given the choice between all abortions banned and all abortions not banned, people went with all abortions not banned. The reality is that on a strategic level, I've made the case that places like Michigan, places like Kansas, pro-lifers would have been better going for an incremental approach and gradually pushing the line back, which is what we've done here in the state of Florida. It started off with like a 15-week ban, moved to a six-week ban. You've seen the same sort of thing happen in the state of Georgia. But put all of that aside for a second. The real question is why the value system that has been promulgated in the United States has been so successfully promulgated in the United States. Why have religious institutions not started? Why is it that people can proclaim to be from the White House practicing Catholics while simultaneously endorsing viewpoints that run not just contra Catholicism, but completely undermine the very basis of Catholic viewpoints on these issues. I mean, that, that, is, that is what Joe Biden is doing. That's what Nancy Pelosi is doing. Where are the institutions? There's an entire piece in the New York Times today titled Religious Freedom Arguments Underpin Wave of Challenges to Abortion Bans. We'll get to that momentarily. First, I want to talk to you about the Daily Wire's most trusted privacy partner and premier sponsor of this show, ExpressVPN. Using the internet without ExpressVPN, it's a dumb thing to do. It's like leaving your keys in your car while you run into the gas station to pick up like a Slurpee. Well, most of the time, it's probably fine. But one time you come out and your car is gone. You're like, oh man, that was a real bad idea. Well, every time you connect to an unencrypted network in cafes, hotels, airports, any hacker on the same network can gain access to that personal data, such as your passwords and financial details. It does not take much technical knowledge to hack somebody. Just some cheap hardware is necessary. ExpressVPN creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet so hackers can't steal your sensitive data. ExpressVPN is so easy to use. I love that no matter what device I'm on, the app literally has one button. You hit one button to download it and you hit one button to activate it and now you are protected. Protect yourself the same way that I do by visiting expressvpn.com slash Ben right now. You can find out how you can get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash Ben. Expressvpn.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. It's the best way to protect your online data. It's your data, which means it's your business. Go check them out right now. Expressvpn.com slash Ben. Find out how you can get three extra months for free. We'll get to more on this in just a moment. First, the financial experts said we were in the clear. While experts anticipated rate cuts, inflation in the United States remains a significant economic concern. Think about it. 
The United States right now is in the hole by $34 trillion. But we're going to keep spending. We're going to keep printing. And that's going to keep pushing up those prices. So you can bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversification, always a smart financial strategy. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation. Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They'll help you convert your existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. You're not going to pay a penny out of pocket. Gold is part of my savings strategy. I get it from Birch Gold. They've been the exclusive gold partner of The Daily Wire for over seven years now, literally helping thousands of our listeners. They can help you as well. Text Ben to 989898. Get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist about protecting your savings from persistent inflation with gold. Text Ben to 989898. Right now, diversification, always a smart strategy. Text Ben to 989898 to get started. Okay, so there's an article in the New York Times all about how religion has basically been hollowed out. And now it's being used as an excuse for leftism, which runs directly. Con- so paganism is the new religion. Here's the article. For years, conservative Christians have used the principle of religious freedom to prevail in legal battles on issues like contraceptive insurance mandates and pandemic restrictions. Now, abortion rights supporters are employing that argument to challenge one of the right's most prized accomplishments, state bans on abortions. Now, first of all, just right off the top, you should realize how ridiculous this is. Okay, these two things are not alike in any way. The religious freedom argument with regard to contraceptive bans was, am I a, should I, a religious person, be forced to subsidize contraception that runs directly counter to my religious principles? Right? That was, for example, the Hobby Lobby case or the Little Sisters of the Poor. That was the real question. And when it came to pandemic restrictions, those were churches literally challenging regulations for being outside the power of the regulating agencies so the churches could keep their doors open. It wasn't really a religious freedom argument so much as it was a, a general freedom of association argument. Like, I should be able to go to my church. It was about the survival of these churches. Now what you have is left-wingers pretending that in the name of God, they have to abort their kids. Hey, that's not religion. That's paganism. You'd be hard-pressed to find a single major religion on planet Earth that 50 years ago would have been pressing for freedom of abortion. It just wouldn't have existed. And here's the reality. It doesn't exist now. In the same way that when you drive past a church and you see a giant sign saying, in this church, Black Lives Matter. In this church, water is wet. In this church, same-sex marriage is reality. When you walk past that church and you realize that it's just a secular bastion with a pretend cross on top, in the same way, that is what is happening right here. And so the question becomes, why have all these religious institutions hollowed themselves out for the modernist viewpoint? And the answer is that when paganism showed up at the door, they realized that paganism is a durable viewpoint. And they hoped that by ingesting the paganism, they would somehow be able to convert it into holiness. And the opposite has happened. As always, when you ingest sin, the sin does not make you more holy. You have to ingest holiness to conquer sin. It's not the other way around. According to the New York Times, many of those suing say that according to their religious beliefs, abortion should be allowed in at least some circumstances the bans prohibit. And the bans violate religious liberty guarantees and the separation of church and state. The suits, some seeking exemptions, others seeking overturns on the bans, often invoke state religious freedom restoration acts. So all of the denominations that are doing this, of course, are denominations that don't take seriously their actual religious practice. Right? You'll see reformed Jewish congregations where they'll, where they'll cart in Kiddush at 12 p.m. on Yom Kippur. They take religious observance extraordinarily seriously to the point that you can you know, drive your pork over to the synagogue on a Saturday. But they are very big on invoking God when it comes to killing babies. Okay, which, of course, is a form of paganism. It's sacrifice to Molech. The, the notion that traditional religion mandates abortion is ridiculous. Okay, that man, to the point where it overturns actual state law. Now, here's the other thing that's kind of amazing about this. Is the New York Times standing for this? 
So any other context, the New York Times invoking religious freedom would be like, that's terrible. We have neutral laws of general applicability in this country. Religious people shouldn't have any special rights when it comes to that. But when it comes to abortion, suddenly they're like, well, you know, we do have to give these religious people their day. And, and again, this it's just part and parcel of a broader paganistic reimagination of the moral universe in which we live. Up to and including the, these pride parade clips that are going around of people going around and literally chanting, we're here, we're queer, we're coming for your children. So this went viral online in the last couple of days. There's a pride parade from New York in which people were chanting and singing this slogan, we're coming for your children. Now, there are those of us on the right who have been saying for pretty much our entire adult lifetimes that this was true. This was obviously true. That when, when you attempt to supplant one system of values with another system of values, then of course, the people who promulgate that new system of values, the new regime, would like your children to learn the rules of the new regime. They want that value system inculcated, bred in your children. Of course they want that. That is not a shock. But that was denied for a long time because again, the idea originally when it came to this particular movement was the marginalized would just be joining in with the broader traditional notions of marriage. It was just broadening out to include more people. But then it turns out that wasn't what it was about at all. Instead, it was about a revolutionary theology, a paganistic theology that was replacing the old Judeo-Christian morality in the United States. And when those, when some of us pointed this out, people say, we're not coming for your children. No, what, how does what we do in the privacy of our own bedrooms affect you? And we're saying, well, you know, you're coming for our kids. You want to convert our kids to a different way of thinking that we think is bad and immoral. Well, now they're saying it out loud. And then NBC News says, quote, the coming for your children chant has been used for years at Pride events. So now they're saying that it's it's amazing. So basically what they're admitting is the media have covered it up for years because for years that was the pitch. They're not coming for your children. Nobody's coming for your children. There is no pagan value system. It's all in your imagination. There is a neutral public space in which no one would do anything like this. A lie, a lie. Paganism is on the rise. And now... Finally, I guess they feel brave enough to say it out loud. The coming for your children chant has been used for years at Pride events, according to longtime March attendees and gay rights activists, who said it's one of many provocative expressions used to regain control of slurs against LGBTQ people. And in this case, they said, right-wing activists are jumping on a single video to weaponize an out-of-context remark to further stigmatize the queer community. Okay, first of all, if there was a Christian march where people were chanting, we're coming for your children, the left would go berserk, right? Because now, in reality... Every ideology is coming for children in some way or another. The question is, is the ideology good or is the ideology bad? The reason that they had to hide their agenda is everybody understands the transgressive ideology whereby sexual self-satisfaction and identity and personal behavior that you seek to, to perform in the world without consequence, that's, that being the center of your morality, that's not a good system of morality, generally speaking. People know that, which is why they were trying to hide the agenda. But the agenda is bursting loose in all, all sorts of perverse ways. Nonetheless, I have a couple of other stories on this that are breaking today. We'll get to in just a moment. First, let's talk about maintaining a healthy lifestyle. So I'll be frank with you. Vegetables are the worst. They're just garbage. They're nature's garbage. But we must eat them because if we do not eat them, then we'll die sooner because they make you healthy. I don't like the vegetables, but I do like balance of nature. Balance of nature, fruits and veggies are a great way to make sure you're getting essential nutritional ingredients every single day. Through Balance of Nature's advanced cold vacuum process, the vitamins, minerals, and phytonutrients of the fruits and vegetables are preserved, so you can get that vital nutrition in each capsule. Balance of Nature is a whole food supplement with no additives, fillers, extracts, synthetics, pesticides, or added sugar. Pure fruits and veggies are the things they put in their capsules, and that's it. Balance of Nature sends a bunch of their product down to the studio for my team to try. It's kosher, so I've been able to use it, and it's great. Producer Jake has been eating them as well. Got rid of those vegetables. 
What do you need vegetables for? I was really excited to find out the product, as I say, is certified kosher, which means that I can use it myself. For a limited time this summer, when you become a preferred customer at Balance of Nature, they are throwing in a free fruit and veggies travel set, giving you an additional 25 bucks off your first order. Go to balanceofnature.com, use promo code Shapiro for a free travel set and 25 bucks off your first order as a preferred customer. That's balanceofnature.com, promo code Shapiro. Okay, so a couple of other stories demonstrating the extent to which paganism has now infected the worldview of the West piece from the Center for Bioethics and Culture Network. Recently, I had a young woman reach out to me on Facebook via direct message. Her message began with, I have a super urgent question. I knew immediately it was either an egg donation or surrogacy gone bad problem. The woman went on to describe a current situation in her family involving her niece, a young married mother with four young children doing her second surrogacy. During her first surrogacy, she delivered twins. And since it was without any noticeable problems, she decided to do another surrogacy. Her aunt communicated to me that her niece is very kind, caring, and loves to help people. However, This surrogate pregnancy had taken a dramatic turn for the worse because during her second trimester, she was diagnosed with aggressive metastatic breast cancer. The problem facing her niece, she explained, was if she consented to treatment directed at her cancer, she would be required to terminate the pregnancy because the cancer therapy would be harmful to developing 24-week fetus. Unwilling to abort the baby, the surrogate mother and her family were left trying to find a hospital where she'd be allowed to deliver the baby early in order to allow her to begin her cancer treatment. They knew at this stage in the pregnancy, the baby might not survive, but that with support from the hospital staff, the baby could possibly survive. So again, the situation in this particular case is a woman who's being used as a surrogate by two gay fathers, as it turns out, right? So one of them presumably provided the sperm, surrogate mom provides the, the egg, and then surrogate mom, who is biological mom, she, uh, she is now carrying the child, but she has cancer, it turns out, and she needs to get chemo. So in order to get the chemo, she also would like to give birth on purpose early to the child so it doesn't kill the child. And here is where the a moral paganism of our society comes into play. The surrogate was faced with the decision most pregnant women hope they never have to face, saving one life at the risk of losing another. To make matters worse, the two intended fathers wanted her to abort the baby because they didn't want a baby who would be born prematurely and who may have serious medical needs because the baby is a product. The baby is a purse. The baby is not a real human. The baby is just a thing that you can dispense with if it becomes inconvenient. The fathers refused to entertain the idea of allowing the baby, if delivered alive, to be adopted by the surrogate or someone else. So one of the dads who provided the sperm, he says, no, no, I don't want that baby to live. I would rather that that baby die because that baby might have a condition if the baby is born early. Even though the baby has to be born early in order so that you might try to save your life from the cancer. The fathers stated they did not want their DNA out there being raised by someone else. Even one of the surrogate's doctors said they knew someone willing to adopt the baby, but the fathers just wanted a death certificate for the child and asked that no life-saving measures be performed on the baby if he was born alive. It's unclear why the fathers requested a death certificate. Maybe it was to render the surrogacy contract null and void since the pregnancy didn't end with them receiving the baby. Surrogates are often paid their compensation through the duration of the pregnancy with the final payment made at the surrendering of the child and relinquishing their maternal rights if applicable by state law. So number one, you shouldn't be using other people's wombs in order to generate babies. It is not a good thing. This is is a generally bad practice for, for specifically this reason. You're creating a biological mother who you then forcibly separate from the child. Not a good... Situation. In the next few days that followed, from when this woman made initial contact with me, the family found a lawyer who was of no use. They reached out to Child Protective Services and were told that with a request for this type of immediate intervention, law enforcement would have to intervene. They contacted their local sheriff's department, who were sympathetic, but said this was up to the hospital and they knew of no law that would allow them to intervene. In their desperation to get help for the otherwise healthy fetus, they were sad that CPS didn't see this as infanticide if the baby was born alive, but no one tried to support this premature infant. Eventually, The surrogate mother was able to find a hospital who would induce labor and deliver the baby vaginally. The baby was born in the early hours of the morning and died soon after. 
This is just obviously a horrifying story, but it is indicative of a culture in which people feel that our own children are not precious things to be saved. They are accessories to be dispensed with if they become inconvenient. So by the way, our sick and our elderly, which is why in Canada, euthanasia has become such a convenience to so many people. Quebec, for example, is the world's leading euthanasia hotspot, according to the UK Daily Mail. 7% of all deaths in Quebec are now lethal injection. Officials there are expanding access to Alzheimer's sufferers, and they are forcing all hospices to offer assisted suicide. It's Quebec. Got to make sure that you can inject the olds who have Alzheimer's and make sure that they uh, die in their beds, Soylent Green style. Nearly 8% of all deaths in Quebec are assisted suicide. Far higher than Canada, Canada's other provinces, and even other such countries like Belgium and the Netherlands. And now, basically, you get Alzheimer's and they would like to kill you as well. Another horror story out of Canada right now is there's a quadriplegic Ontario woman who is considering medically assisted suicide because of long medical wait times. She's applying because she says it's easier to access than the support services she needs to live her life comfortably. Rose Finlay, 33, has been a full-time wheelchair user since a diving accident when she was 17, according to the CBC. But for the past year, she's been without the reliable daily support she needs. So that means that she's getting recurring urinary tract and kidney infections. She said, I've been bedridden. My quality of life has decreased. So basically, Canada's beautiful nationalized healthcare system has done a terrible job of caring for this lady. She would rather have them kill her. This is the value of life in, in a pagan system. And there is no moral neutral. Okay. Either either your society is filled with the air and water of Judeo-Christian religion and tradition and morality, religion that has been time-tested and found to be effective and durable, or you can have this new paganistic religion, which sees apparently no value to life whatsoever, whether you're talking abortion, whether you're talking euthanasia. All right, in just one second, we'll get to a rather fascinating Supreme Court decision that came down yesterday. First, our friends over at GenuCell sold out of their dark spot corrector, and our listeners have been begging for a restock well. Good news, just in time for summer, it is now back. GenuCell's famous dark spot corrector has not one, but three cutting edge ingredients. It goes to work fast to target sunspots, dark spots, liver spots, even old discoloration, both on your face and your hands. You can now enjoy your summer sun, beach, and barbecues without those embarrassing spots. GenuCell's most popular package also features their summer essentials, like the best-selling ultra retinal moisturizer with a powerful retinal alternative for safe use in the sun. You'll be amazed how quickly you'll see results or 100% of your money back guaranteed. Go to GenuCell.com slash Shapiro right now. Get your dark spot corrector in the GenuCell most popular package. That's GenuCell.com slash Shapiro right now. Save over 70% off GenuCell's most popular package. My mom has used GenuCell. My wife has used GenuCell. I myself have used GenuCell. It is an excellent product. All orders will include a mystery luxury gift while supplies last. GenuCell.com slash Shapiro. Go check them out right now. Again, that's GenuCell.com slash Shapiro. Get your dark spot corrector in that GenuCell most popular package and save over 70% off that particular package. Alrighty, so meanwhile, it is fascinating to watch as the left turns on the Supreme Court, even as the Supreme Court demonstrates that on issues that are not of like massive controversy, it's a pretty middle of the road court. Okay, so Nancy Pelosi the other day called for term limits on Supreme Court justices, which is weird since she has been in the House of Representatives since 1873. Here is Here she is with Jen Psaki. I'm never going to get over the fact that, that Jen Psaki has her own show on MSNBC pretending to be a news anchor after being the State Department spokesperson under Barack Obama and then the White House press secretary under Joe Biden. Here she is with her uh, good friend, Speaker Pelosi. Do you think that there should be changes, reforms to the Supreme Court, term limits, uh, an expansion? Yeah. yeah, I don't know about the expansion. I mean, it's been over 150 years mm. since we've had an expansion of the court. Mm. It was in the time of Lincoln that it went up to nine. 
So the subject of whether that should happen is a, a discussion. It's not, a say, a rallying cry, but it's a discussion. Uh, the president formed a commission. They did not recommend expansion of the court. That shouldn't be the end of it. But there certainly should be term limits. There certainly be term limits. And if nothing else, there should be some ethical rules that would be followed. Funny how she was not for term limits when Ruth Bader Ginsburg stayed on the court literally until she died. But um, she is definitely for term limits now that there is a conservative majority on the Supreme Court. Meanwhile, that Supreme Court, because the left doesn't understand how originalism works, because the left projects, the way that the left treats the Supreme Court is as a supra-political body. It, it is simply a political body that has people in black robes do things the left wants. There is no consistent rule of interpretation. There is no attempt to apply text. It is just what is the outcome that we want and how do we get that outcome, particularly in case of controversy. You, I've yet to see a case in which Elena Kagan or Sonia Sotomayor or Justice Breyer, in which any of these people actually vote contrary to their preferred political opinion on a case of serious controversy. But you see that all the time with right-wing justices. And so even this term, you see some very weird political splits on the court. So for example, there's a case that came up over the, over the course of last year. It was about a North Carolina state court plan that effectively argued that the state legislature could make its redistricting plan without the input of the state Supreme Court. So the case that they were making is the Supreme Court struck down the redistricting plan and then they ended up negotiating and it became sort of a moot point. This is Justice Clarence Thomas's point in his dissent in this case. But 6-3, in an opinion by Chief Justice John Roberts, they found that North Carolina state court did not overstep when it struck down a congressional redistricting plan as overly partisan. Okay, that that decision by the state Supreme Court was then appealed federally on the basis that the Constitution of the United States suggests that it is up to state legislatures in order to determine how exactly elections are done within the states. There's a provision of the Constitution that seems to state that actually rather clearly, that that it was a state legislative, that it was about state legislatures. And there are two relevant clauses. Clause one is the elections clause, which says the times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof, But the Congress may at any time by law make or alter such regulations. So in other words, even for federal election, it is the job of the state legislature, literally prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. That should be the state legislature. And uh, the same is the presidential electors clause. It says each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors. So the, the question is what the Constitution means by legislature. So you and I might say, well, you know, you know, the actual body called the legislatures, the independent state legislature theory says that if the Pennsylvania state legislature passes a series of laws, it is no longer up to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court to simply overrule that in the name of the state constitution. And then the, and then the question becomes, can the federal judiciary step in and stop that at any point? All of this is pretty abstruse, but it was sort of a right wing point of view that the state legislatures were the ones who were in control. And that was particularly true after 2020, when there were, in fact, multiple state courts that stepped in. Pennsylvania would be a particularly good case where the Pennsylvania Supreme Court stepped in and literally just rewrote all of the election law without reference to the state constitution. So this particular opinion by Roberts holds that the state Supreme Court is allowed to weigh in on things like redistricting. They suggested that the state legislature still has to be bound by the state constitution and the state constitution is adjudicated by the state Supreme Court. So there's still judicial review of those acts inside the states and the federal government can't step in and quash a state Supreme Court. But this opinion also says that the the federal 
Supreme Court can step in and quash a state Supreme Court if they overstep their boundaries. Now, the problem with this particular decision is that it sets no clear guidelines or rules as to when the federal judiciary is supposed to step in and stop a state judiciary from overruling a state legislature or vice versa. So it really gives very little guidance at all. But it is, at the very least, a very moderate decision. This is not a decision that is like a rabid right-wing decision. And yet the left has been treating this Supreme Court as a rabid right-wing Supreme Court because they don't understand that the principles of interpretation when it comes to textualism, originalism, they can cut a few different ways. And so every time Justice Gorsuch rules in sort of a, in a unique way, everybody on the left freaks out. They're like, whoa, wasn't he appointed by a Republican? How's that happening? But instead of taking the lesson, which is that, you know, principles of interpretation can sometimes lead to disparate outcomes. Instead of that, what they take away is, well, appointed by a Republican, let's get rid of them anyway. Okay, meanwhile, Joe Biden is still riding the rails when it comes to this particular corruption scandal with regard to Hunter Biden. I think we barely scratched the surface here. So a second whistleblower has now come forward and said that Hunter Biden evaded millions of taxes, millions in in tax owings to the federal government via a series of cutouts. Breitbart reports that according to the second whistleblower, Biden set up a scheme involving a Ukrainian natural gas company he sat on the board of and a Chinese business associate to willfully evade paying taxes. The whistleblower said that Hunter Biden had already owed hundreds of thousands of bucks in taxes long before his daddy became VP. In 2014, when Joe was in his second term as VP in charge of Ukraine policy, and when Ukrainian natural gas company Burisma put Hunter on its board of directors, Hunter, Burisma paid Hunter Biden almost three quarters of a million dollars to do little or no work. According to that whistleblower, Hunter received the money from Burisma, and then instead of reporting it as income and then paying taxes on it, he put that money into a Chinese firm run by one of Hunter's business associates who then loaned the money to Hunter Biden so he wouldn't have to pay taxes on it. The whistleblower testified, quote, so Hunter sets this out in an email. And what ends up happening is, imagine this. If you're an owner of a company and your friend tells you that I want to pay my wages to your company and you're going to loan the money back to me, that's essentially what happened here. He took loans from that corporation, which were distributions, and then he didn't pay taxes on those loans. So essentially for 2014, we found Hunter didn't report any of the money he earned from Burisma. So the reason why this is important is because Hunter set it up this way to essentially earn the money through his friend's corporation and then have his friend pay him back half of the money as loans or quote unquote loans. He said none of it was taxed. So far, none of this has been paid or prosecuted. The statute has now run out on these tax years or on the 2014 tax years. The Justice Department actually believed Biden's defense that the money was a loan, which is an absurdity, of course. It's just ridiculous. Okay, and, and again, not shocking that um, that Hunter Biden is a deeply corrupt individual. What is continuing, it, it will always be shocking to me, how the DOJ and the IRS and the FBI apparently are willing to work in collusion with one another in order to avoid prosecuting Hunter Biden because it might eventually lead up the chain to Joe. In fact, IRS whistleblower Gary Shapley, this is the first whistleblower, the one who has revealed a text message from Hunter Biden to a Chinese business person, basically telling him, hand over the money and my daddy's sitting next to me. Gary Shapley went on CBS News where he talked openly about Hunter receiving preferential treatment. If this was any other person, they likely would have already served their sentence. Gary Shapley was a lead IRS supervisory agent in Operation Sportsman, the investigation into Hunter Biden. Shapley said he uncovered conduct that warranted more serious charges. There were personal expenses that were taken as business expenses. Prostitutes, sex club memberships, hotel rooms for purported drug dealers. 
Shapley, who is still working for the IRS, told us that even before President Biden took office, he was directed to avoid leads involving Hunter's father. There were certain investigative steps that we weren't allowed to take that could have led us to President Biden. And you wanted to take them? We needed to take them. And you weren't allowed to take them? That's correct. Okay, so... Again, when Donald Trump talks about the deep state and the people inside the deep state who did not want this leading up the chain to Joe Biden, I mean, Shapley is a very credible source. And he's made claims now that have not been fully rebutted by the Attorney General Merrick Garland, including a claim that on October 7th, 2022, there was a meeting between David Weiss, who's the prosecutor in the Hunter Biden case, and like his entire investigative team at the IRS, saying that he has been barred from actually pursuing prosecutions in places like California or Washington, D.C. by the Attorney General. And then Merrick Garland is out there pretending that that is not the case. Well, I mean, some testimony here would be nice. Meanwhile, Jen Psaki, former White House press secretary, continues to be the White House press secretary just from abroad over at MSNBC. Uh, She says that um, the reason that that Joe invited Hunter to dinner is because he was showing him his love, which is typically what you do with your now guilty of a misdemeanor, guilty of felony son who was funneling cash to you, probably. That's what you do. You invite him to White House dinners. I think, Hunt, you know, what we saw with Hunter appearing at the state dinner was, in my suspicion, was the president, his son wanted to come, so his son's going to come to the dinner. Was that optically easier for the White House and the White House communications team? Absolutely not. But I suspect that was more in the family circumstance of him wanting to come and wanting to just, the president wanting to show that he loves his son and he's standing by him. I love how a corruption scandal turns into he just loves his kid. He just loves his kid so, so much. What an amazing father who allowed his son to run around and be an absolute dirtbag of a human being for decades on end. What, what a love. I mean, that's what love looks like, gang, is enabling your drug abusing son who knocks up strippers and then disowns his child and refuses to allow them to use the last name. And you, too, will refuse to use the last name or pretend that that grandchild doesn't exist. That's what that's what you will do. You, it's, it's all love, guys. It's all just a form of love. Okay, in just a second, we'll get to Joe Biden's form of love for all of you, Bidenomics. But first, everybody knows I love my Helix mattress, that basically it is the thing that is keeping me alive right now, given the fact that I have a lot going on at the house with the new baby and the dog and a lot going on. But Helix mattress now has their newest, most high-end collection, Helix Elite. Helix has harnessed years of extensive mattress expertise to bring their customers a truly elevated sleep experience. The Helix Elite collection includes six different mattress models, each tailored for specific sleep positions and firmness preferences. I've had my Helix mattress for at least six, seven years at this point. It is durable. It is great. It's firm but breathable, which is exactly what I was looking for. The reason they knew to send me that mattress is because I took their two-minute sleep quiz. It matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Because why would you have a mattress that's built for somebody else? It doesn't make any sense. Go to helixsleep.com slash Ben. Do the same thing I did. Take that two-minute sleep quiz. Find the perfect mattress for your body and sleep type. Your mattress will then come directly to your door for free. Plus, Helix has a 10-year warranty. You get to try out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. Helix has over 12,000 five-star reviews. Their financing options and flexible payment plans make it so a great night's sleep is never far away. For a limited time, Helix is offering up to 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. It's their best offer yet. Hurry on over to helixsleep.com slash Ben right now with Helix Better Sleep starts right now. Also, if you're looking for something interesting to watch, check out our new series, What We Saw, hosted by storyteller Bill Whittle. Season one was all about Apollo 11. Season two of What We Saw is available right now. It's about the origins and key events of the Cold War. It is fascinating. It's beautifully produced. Everything from the Berlin blockade to Joseph Stalin to the Cuban Missile Crisis to the Vietnam War. Don't just read about history. Live it. Bill makes you feel like you're there witnessing all of it. 
All episodes of Cold War are now available to stream, but you have to be a Daily Wire Plus member to see it. Go to dailywire.com slash Cold War to start watching. Well, meanwhile, Joe Biden is struggling in the polls. And the simple fact of the matter is that the left despises Donald Trump, like really, really hate the media, hates him. And Joe Biden is running basically even with Trump. I mean, in the polls right now, he's beating him in most of the polls, but it's really within margin of error. That demonstrates what a terrible president Joe Biden is because Donald Trump is a deeply unpopular figure in the United States. There are a lot of people who love him, but there are way more people in the United States who really don't love Donald Trump. I mean, the approval ratings are down in the 30s for Trump. They're also for Biden. And there's a reason for that. And it is very largely economic in nature. According to a new poll out of Pennsylvania, here are the most important issues facing the United States. Inflation, 19%. Economy, 11%. So for 30%, it's the economy. Three in 10. Those are terrible numbers for a president who is facing a reelect effort at this point. So Joe Biden has decided, of course, to double down. He's putting all his chips on the table with a push on Bidenomics, according to Politico. Oh, Bidenomics. Yes, because this doddering old fool who's been wrong about every major issue of his lifetime. Certainly, if we name an economic system after him, that will be amazing. That will go amazingly well. According to Politico, President Biden is tying his political fate to the United States economy. Recessionary risks be damned. The White House this week is going all in on a campaign to claim credit for the nation's post-pandemic resurgence touting an economic vision that aid C is so central to Biden's legacy. They've gone as far as giving it a name, Bidenomics. It's so creative too, Bidenomics. Wow, wow. It's a fresh messaging push, says Politico. Is it though? Is it real fresh? Nobody's ever heard of, uh, yeah, Obamanomics. I mean, Bushnomics, like Clintonomics. No, it, wow, you got, wow. I, where'd you come up with this one? You have the entire brain trust in there, blue skying things, and you came up with Bidenomics, guys. It's a fresh messaging push that marks the most aggressive attempt yet by Biden world to convince the public the economy is in fact good. It's also a major bet the bottom won't fall out, at least through November 2024. The question of how strongly to tout the economy has vexed virtually every president running during a time of recovery. Boast too hard and voters may perceive you as out of touch. Stay too quiet and risk the perception of taking hold that times are bleak and getting bleaker. Biden has pledged to avoid the missteps of his former boss, Barack Obama. He was reluctant in real time to play up good economic news after voters recoiled at his first attempt to do so through an infamous 2010 tour dubbed Recovery Summer. The current effort is an implicit recognition that Biden has more work to do. Key to the sales pitch includes a speech today by the president formally outlining his economic case is defining exactly what is Bidenomics. Ahead of the address, White House aides described the term as a broad collection of policies aimed at using government muscle to revive and reshape the economy to help the middle class. Oh, you mean government interventionism and redistributionism? No one's ever tried that before. You mean spending more money and taxing people? Whoa, whoa, blowing my mind here. No one's ever thought of that except for every Western government since about 1930. Wow, he's going to try that? revolutionary stuff, guys. They pointed to a range of efforts, including bolstering manufacturing investments, expanding high-speed internet access, and cracking down on industries that charge so-called junk fees. He's really going to run on junk fees? That's going to be his campaign? If the definition is a bit all-encompassing, the implication is clear. Biden's political fortunes, his top aides believe, will hinge on how effectively they can hammer home the idea that voters are better off than just a few years ago and have the Biden administration to thank for it. Now, obviously, that's not true. It's just not true. The economy was better in 2019 than it is today. It was healthier. There were more jobs in the economy. It had a better upward trajectory. And then COVID hit. And we artificially put our economy into a coma. And then in the third quarter of 2020 already, it was starting to leap back to life. And then it started to kind of flatline under Joe Biden. And you got massive inflation because of the amount of money that had been pumped into the economy. Well, White House spokeswoman Olivia Dalton was out there doing a better job than Karine Jean-Pierre because it's not possible to do a worse job than Karine Jean-Pierre. But uh, she was out there saying that Biden is going to tell Americans about the absolute magic of Bidenomics. Are you excited, guys? Bidenomics, it's magic. 
Today we're focused on tomorrow and laying out Bidenomics and, and talking to the American people about uh, what that is, how it's taken shape, and how it's made a meaningful impact in their lives. Um, that's what we're focused on for the, for the moment. I don't have anything to preview for you in the way of future economic announcements, but um, look, we believe there's really substantial progress to be proud of here. They, they did so much progress to be proud of. In fact, let her talk about that progress. She says, look where we were when we came into office. My favorite thing is when they just pretend that the pandemic did not exist and that all of the state lockdowns never happened. So, so it was just, they, they, just a randomly crappy economy they inherited, along with, um, you know, like a vaccine that basically allowed all the olds to survive COVID. They inherited those things. And an economic recovery, which was already well in progress by January 2021, they'd inherited. But it's all them, guys. They did an amazing job. According to our last poll, 54 to 36% say Donald Trump did a better job handling the economy when he was president than Biden has done so far. You aren't announcing anything new necessarily this week. You are just, you know, highlighting and touting what you've done. Is that enough? Well, what I would say to you is look at where we were when we came into office, when after four years of Donald Trump, unemployment was over 6%. And today we are standing here at a time where uh, unemployment has, is at historic lows. We've seen inflation come down for uh, by 50% over the last year. 11 months straight, inflation has come down. We've recovered. Our economy has recovered faster than any major economy in the entire world. And that's happening because of President Biden's leadership. Wow. Do you feel the magic of Bidenomics? I love when they say things like inflation has come down every month for the last 11 months. Uh, no, it has not, because inflation is a rate of increase. So if, if you mean absolute, did prices come down? I noticed the notice the term not. She didn't say prices have come down every month for the last 11 months because that's a lie. They've increased every month for the last 11 months. Just as they increased every month under Joe Biden by leaps and bounds. The rate of increase has decreased mildly over the course of the last 11 months. That's what's happened, which is like you being bankrupt and uh, you continue to spend on your credit card. But where you were spending $1,000 per month on your credit card, now you're spending $990 on your credit card every month while you are bankrupt. Don't worry, you're bringing down your debt in some weird way that isn't real. Here she was actually defending the inflation rate, talking about how things are going swimmingly despite an inflation rate that is currently clocking in at about 5%, which is like two and a half times what it normally should be. How is Bidenomics not an era of high inflation and rising unemployment rate? Well, take a look at where we started and where we are now. That's the easiest answer to your question. Yeah, let's take a look at where you started. Oh, wait, the inflation rate was basically non-existent when you took office and uh, then it skyrocketed to like, you know, 10%, 12%. Oh, what? That, that, yes, that was that was awesome. That was really great. Well done. The White House's Jared Bernstein from the Council of Economic Advisors. He says the real problem, the reason Americans are so sour on the economy is because the pollsters just aren't asking the right questions. It's not me that's wrong. It must be the kids, says Principal Skinner. If he's done so much for the economy and we're talking about Bidenomics now, then why are the approval ratings so low? Why aren't Americans feeling it in their wallets, given uh, the idea that this should have been a benefit and giving him the credit that you think he deserves? Well, first of all, uh, one of the problems I think we face is that some of these pollsters are not asking the right questions when it comes to specific uh, components of Bidenomics. So, uh, I think it's completely legitimate to ask people about approval and these sort of 30,000, 40,000 feet up questions. But at the same time, I also think it's really important, at least if you want to understand the answer to the question you just asked me, to ask people what they think 
about the largest investment in broadband that we've ever made in this country. This is basically doing what FDR did with rural electrification, doing that for broadband, which, of course, is so essential. I love that he's sure you're paying like a bajillion dollars for eggs. But think about how much money we invested in broadband. Okay, I've been all over this country. And you know what you can get access to the Internet? The Internet. Like, who are the... Where are the who are these people who are like desperately in need of tr- like billions of dollars of investment in broadband from the federal government? It's an amazing, amazing thing. But, you know, must maintain the Biden because the only person in line after Joe Biden is Kamala Harris, who literally has the lowest poll numbers ever recorded for a vice president. Her favorability rating, her favorability rating is um 32 percent. That is the worst vice presidential favorability favorability rating ever recorded. Maybe it's because Kamala Harris keeps doing things like referring to women as pregnant people. Uh, it's amazing how fast the uh, the language of the new regime uh, is is crammed down here. And the thing that she's been doing and what doulas will advocate for is you as the, the pregnant person, as a pregnant woman, create a team. Mm-hmm. And your team will include your doctor mm-hmm. and your doula. Oh, th- thank you for that, Vice President Harris. Well, I guess they're going to run the dead old guy. All right, in just one second, we will get to the opposition. President Trump is leading in all of the state polls. We'll bring you some of those numbers. And we'll also bring you his latest spin on, you know, the tape where he kind of admitted to doing the crime and and that sort of thing, which was not amazing. We'll get to that momentarily. First, as central banks in countries like China, India, and Australia begin transitioning over to digital currency, the Federal Reserve is considering doing the exact same thing in the United States. Well, here's the thing. With the digital currency, the government can manipulate money even more easily. Times like this, great reminder to diversify at least a portion of your savings into gold. You can do that with the help of my friends over at Birch Gold. They're the people I buy my gold from, so do thousands of other concerned savers. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. You're not going to pay a penny out of pocket. When currencies fail, gold is a safe haven. How much more time does the dollar have? Well, I don't know. You don't know either. At the very least, you should make sure that you have some of your money in the most durable asset of all time, gold. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Thousands of happy customers. Text Ben to 989898. Get your free info kit on gold today. If a central bank digital currency becomes a reality, well, again, it would be nice to have diversified into a thing that the government cannot manipulate, gold itself. Again, text Ben to 989898 to get started. Ask all of your questions. Become an informed investor. And then, if you so choose, talk to my friends over at Birch Gold about investing. Again, text Ben to 989898 to get started. Meanwhile, on the other side of the aisle, Donald Trump continues to be the leader in the clubhouse in these Republican primaries. That doesn't mean that he is likely to beat Joe Biden in general election. Right now, he is trailing in every swing state with regard to Joe Biden, which is amazing because Joe Biden is an amazingly weak candidate and an amazingly weak president. But currently, the GOP primary polls, early state polling average by race to the White House shows that in Iowa, Trump is about 22 points up on DeSantis. He's up like 45 to 23. In New Hampshire, he's up 46 to 15. In South Carolina, he's up 41 to 19. In Nevada, he's up 52 to 21. DeSantis has really yet to catch fire in this race. I think one of the reasons is because Trump sucks all the oxygen out of the room. Like all focus is on Trump. DeSantis is out there just proclaiming policies. He put out a pretty solid border policy, actually a much more stringent border policy than Donald Trump's, but nobody seems to want to talk policy. Also, the main draw for DeSantis originally was how he fought the COVID battle, but nobody wants to talk about COVID. And that, that's a major issue for the DeSantis campaign is the things that, that he can b- brag about, you know, like policy wins and doing the right thing on COVID are things that apparently nobody seems to care about right now. Instead, you know, loud noises seem to be winning the day in the Republican primary. And again, all of this might be fine and dandy if it, if it meant that Trump was likely to win the general election. But I have yet to see like a durable plan from Don- or in fact, any plan 
in the election to see how he would do it differently than he did in 2020 when he did not end up in the White House. Anyway, Trump did a speech yesterday where he announced he was going to evict Joe Biden from the White House. On November 5th, 2024, we're going to stand up to the Marxists and communists, fascists and globalists. We're going to evict crooked Joe Biden. He is crooked as hell. You know, I took the uh, name away from Hillary. I was crooked Hillary. And now I call her beautiful Hillary. She's a beautiful woman. Hmm. Okay. And, um, and then, he, um, then he proceeded to put his foot in his mouth about the classified documents case. So let's just be real about this once again. Should Donald Trump be prosecuted for the exact same crime that Hillary Clinton was basically let off the hook for? He shouldn't. If, if it doesn't work for Hillary, it doesn't work for Trump. However, does that mean that Donald Trump did not do the thing he's accused of doing? It doesn't mean that either. Donald Trump pretty much admits on tape to doing the thing that he's accused of doing. Those two things you should hold in your mind at the same time. The prosecution is politically motivated and unjust on the part of Merrick Garland, no question. Also, does what he did, does that fulfill the elements of the crime? I mean, from the evidence that we've seen so far, Pretty obviously, yes. So you'll recall Donald Trump was accused in the indictment of having taken documents that he was not supposed to take. And then he was given every opportunity by the DOJ and by the National Archives and by the FBI to turn those documents back in. Not only did he not turn the documents back in, he instructed his lawyers to go say that he had turned the documents back in. And they have contemporaneous text messages of Donald Trump saying to his own people, Walt Mata, who's now under indictment also, that he should move those boxes around without the lawyers knowing about it. Okay, that's that's a problem, guys. I'm not somebody who's thinking that Donald Trump was like taking these secrets and distributing them all over the place. I think Donald Trump has a weird, meticulous, hoarder-like attachment to things that he thinks are his. But does that mean that he didn't fulfill the the tenets of uh, like, there are elements of, this is how law works. There's a law. The law says here are the things that, that the crime constitutes, A, B, C, and D. Did he hit all of those? I mean, by his own admission, kind of, yes, now he is trying to walk that back because there's tape of him literally saying, and we played it yesterday, there's tape of him literally saying, here are classified documents. I could have declassified. I didn't declassify. Here they are. I will show them to you, a not classified person. And um, and now he is walking through a variety of excuses. So here was excuse number one yesterday. Um, being his lawyer must be so tiring. Don't talk. Be quiet. Stop talking to the media. Stop it. You have a legal defense to make. Just say that the prosecution is unjust. You'll have exactly the same impact. Just say the prosecution is politically motivated. You'll have exactly the same impact. Instead, we uh, we get this, which will all be put into evidence at the trial. So now that we've heard this recording, does that undercut what you told Brett Baer just a week ago? I had, and I said it very clearly. I had a whole desk full of lots of papers and mostly newspaper articles, copies of magazines, copies of different plans, copies of stories having to do with many, many subjects. And what was said was absolutely fine and very, very perfectly. We did nothing wrong. I'm covered by the Presidential Records Act. I'm covered also by the Clinton Sox case. It's a very important case. It's law. And we did absolutely nothing wrong. This is just another hoax. It's called, uh, I would say, election interference more than anything else. You're not concerned then with your own voice on those on those recordings? My voice was fine. What did I say wrong on those recordings? I didn't even see the recording. All I know is I did nothing wrong. We had a lot of papers, a lot of papers stacked up. In fact, you could hear the rustle of the paper, and nobody said I did anything wrong other than the fake news, which, of course, is Fox, too. Okay, he, he literally says in a 20-second segment at the very end, I didn't hear the recording. You could hear the papers rustling. And then he apparently was speaking to Semaphore. Why is he talking? First of all, why is he talking to Semaphore and ABC News? They both hate him. Why? What is the point of this? Quote, I would say it was bravado, if you want to know the truth. It was bravado. 
I was talking and just holding up papers and talking about them, but I had no documents. I didn't have any documents. And then he said that when he used the word plans, right, because he says that in the recording, he's pretty obviously talking about attack plans on Iran. That's what he is talking about in the recording. He mentions General Milley. He talks about an unspecified country. It's pretty obviously Iran. And then he says that he was referring not to attack plans on Iran. He was referring to, I kid you not, golf building plans. Quote, did I use the word plans? What I'm referring to is magazines, newspapers, and plans of buildings. I had plans of buildings, you know, building plans. I had plans of a golf course. Yes, I'm sure that you were holding up plans of a golf course while discussing General Milley's plans to attack Iran. Like, do you think the prosecutors are going to have fun with this? If you are rooting for Trump, then he has to have a plan. That plan should be meticulous. He's going to end up in a court of law on all of this. Would you like to see him not go to jail? Then perhaps he should stop talking like this. It is not smart. It's just not smart. Put aside whether you like or hate the guy. It's not a smart thing to do to do this. You're in the middle of a legal proceeding. Listen to your lawyers. Uh, and again, what does this do? It means that Democrats get to talk all day long about Trump. All day long, they get to talk about Trump. They don't have to talk like we did about Bidenomics. They don't have to talk about Joe Biden being as corrupt as the day is long. They don't have to talk about the fact that Merrick Garland has pretty now obviously been shown to be a liar. The New York Times has now confirmed that there are at least two other witnesses who confirm the IRS whistleblower's claim that a prosecutor was stopped from prosecuting Hunter Biden thanks to Merrick Garland. And they don't have to talk about any of that because they can just talk about Trump all day long. And Trump likes talking about Trump all day long. So they have a coincidence of interest, all of which does not cut in favor of kicking Joe Biden out of the White House, as Trump says he would like to do. Okay. meanwhile, we now have a couple of updates on the Russia situation. So everybody was wondering what the hell is going on with Russia. And as it turns out, what was going on with Russia was pretty likely the Russian government was attempting to shut down the Wagner group and ingest it. And the head of the Wagner group was like, no, what if I just lead a revolt against you? According to um, sources of the Russian telegram channel, VCHK, OGPU, they say that here is exactly what proceeded and prompted all of this. The precursor of a coup in Russia is always a strengthening of the protection of state institutions. A few days before the escalation of the situation with Wagner PMC, the Federal Protective Service suddenly asked Rosgvardia Chief Zolotov to help Jerzinski Division fighters. Rosgvardia forces reinforced the Federal Protective Service patrols near the Kremlin, the White House, which is the Russian government building, the presidential administration, and other government facilities in the capital. On June 27th, the reinforcement was withdrawn as suddenly as it appeared. Main state institutions are still guarded as usual. In addition to the intensified protection of buildings, operative groups of Federal Security Service and main staff of the Defense Ministry flew to the war zone in advance, supported personally by Defense Minister Shoigu and his high-ranking entourage. A group of officers of the main personnel directorate of the Defense Ministry also flew to Rostov. They were all told that by July 1st, Wagner PMC would be disbanded and cease to exist. So basically, there was a power struggle between Prigozhin's army and the defense minister, Shoigu. And apparently, there was an actual attack by Shoigu's forces on Wagner. And this prompted Prigozhin to then attempt to march up to Moscow and take control. In a matter of hours, according to this report, the headquarters of the Southern Grouping and the city of Rostov-on-Don in addition were taken by Prigozhin. The minister of defense then fled to Moscow. But it turns out that Prigozhin's plan which was to apparently capture the Russian military leaders, including Shoigu, failed. This is the Wall Street Journal reporting now. Apparently, he had planned to capture Russia's military leadership as part of last weekend's mutiny. He accelerated his plans after the country's domestic intelligence agency became aware of the plot. He apparently wanted to capture both Shoigu and General Valery Garasimov, the chief of Russia's general staff, during a visit to the southern region. But the FSB found out about the plan before it was to be executed. And so the whole thing was sort of an abortive coup attempt that failed. So that is the latest 
from Russia. And, um, you know, everyone, you know, I think can expect the the soon coming headline that Viktor Prigozhin has uh, has committed suicide by beating himself to death with a tire iron in the back alley after poisoning himself with uh, plutonium. OK, time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. So things that I like today, the um, Bud Light executives were behind the idiotic Dylan Mulvaney campaign are now apparently gone. Group Vice President for Marketing Daniel Blake and Bud Light Marketing Vice President Alyssa Heinerschneid are both no longer with Anheuser-Busch at all for their roles in the Dylan Mulvaney debacle, according to Outkick, and according to text obtained from a current regional head of marketing by the Daily Caller. The text described the pair as gone, gone, and noted, quote, to my understanding, if we publicly announce the word fire, it opens up the potential for them to sue us. That's why we said leave of absence. So this looks like a, a permanent split. Again, this is an attempt to, uh, to buy back what Bud Light did wrong here. And when conservatives win a victory like this, they should claim the victory and they should celebrate the victory because these victories, they mean something. It means that companies are going to think twice about doing this kind of crap in the future. It is not merely about getting companies to back down. It's also about warning other companies that if they do similar things to the Dylan Mulvaney debacle, they will be met with similar action. And so they can avoid the whole fracas by simply not doing this in the first place. So that is good news out of Bud Light. Okay, time for a thing that I hate. All right, actually, two things that I hate today. So thing that I hate, number one, uh, there are a lot of headlines today about Roseanne Barr. So Roseanne Barr makes unhinged and wild statements on the somewhat regular. I mean, this is what she did on Twitter. You remember that she got herself kicked off like the top rated show on TV. It destroyed the show because she decided to sweep bizarre things about Valerie Jarrett. Well, she was on an edition of This Past Weekend, which is a podcast by comedian Theo Vaughn, and she was making jokes. And there's now an overt media attempt to deliberately misunderstand jokes. It's something that happens on a routine basis. If you make a joke, because jokes inherently are making fun of the thing that is bad, you can very easily take the thing that the person is saying and treat it as like a straight statement about reality. If you took any Dave Chappelle monologue and you just read it straight as though it were not a joke, it'd be the most egregious thing you ever read. If you ever took a Louis C.K. comedy routine and you just read it straight, it would sound like evil. Because comedy very often is making fun of the realities of life by pointing out that we all have these bizarre thoughts and these bizarre evil thoughts are wrong. Well, she's pretty clearly doing this with Theo Vaughn. She makes some comments about the Holocaust that are clearly meant to be sarcastic. And the entire media ran with this as though she actually was like calling for a new Holocaust, which she clearly is not. And I got to say, like Roseanne says crazy stuff sometimes and bad stuff sometimes, but this is obviously a media attempt to recancel Roseanne Barr. Here is the actual clip in context. You can hear she's being sarcastic. It's a, it's a failed attempt at sarcasm, but it's clearly sarcasm. And you know who understands that? Theo Vaughn. I noticed nobody's calling for Theo Vaughn to be canceled for laughing at her jokes. There's always been a ceiling on, on speech, hasn't there, in a way? Of course. Nobody wants to hear the real truth. They're horrified. Now. They'd rather go with bullshit. It's easier. And uh, Like for the real truth that, you know, and I'm glad that they did set up all these guidelines so that we only are allowed to speak the truth. And the truth is that Biden got 81 million votes by winning 36 counties. And that is just incredible. It really, really is. And um, that of these 81 million supporters who gave him more, more votes than any president has ever gotten before, he came with a mandate from these 81 million voters. And, uh, you know, I I'm just glad that they were very careful to make sure that nobody could um, detract from that proven truth. You know what I mean? Like, what do you mean? Like that nobody... That they mandated that that was the truth and that nobody could say, well, what about no? 
Oh, it was made a mandate. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. So the government made it a mandate. Yeah, because you know YouTube did, and so did uh, all oh, the social. Oh, so you can't speak. You can't even speak on that in those platforms. No, you can't say. You know that it wasn't. You can't say that like. You know, the there election was election. Was rigged or, yeah, right. that's all a lie. The election was not rigged. Thirty-six counties can give you eighty-one million votes. Right, that's a fact. So it wasn't rigged. Of course not. Yeah, thirty-six counties have eighty-one <laughs> million people in them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, yeah. that's the truth. And yeah. don't you dare say anything against it, or you'll be off YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. And all the other ones, because we have, you know, there's such a thing as the truth and facts, and we have to stick to it. And, um, you know. It's scary. And that is the truth. And nobody died in the Holocaust either. No. That's the truth. Yeah. Okay, it so she, th this is where things start to go. Right. So she's being, she's being absolutely sarcastic, right? The entire thing about Biden's election is she believes the election was rigged. She believes that Biden did not win 81 million votes. She said this before. So she's saying they banned all the... So she's, she's taking the position of the YouTube censors. And she's saying in the same category of things that are false, are these are two things that are false, she's saying. Are Biden won 81 million votes and the Holocaust didn't happen. She's saying both those things are false, right? That's what she's actually saying. So the way the media read that is that she actually... Was was promoting the Holocaust. Theo Vaughn gets this right. He says this Roseanne Barr clip was sarcasm, folks. A clip taken out of a long sarcastic rant she had during our chat. Can we not recognize sarcasm anymore? And the answer is no. They purposely they know it's sarcasm, but they purposely misinterpret things so as to try and pretend that people are playing it straight. This happens on the regular, by the way, on this show. And I'll do a ten minute monologue about Cardi B's WAP, and it'll be really really funny. Like it'll be obviously comedic, and somebody will take it out of context and they'll pretend that I was being very very serious when I was critiquing it. And this is the kind of stuff the left does on, on a regular basis. They were doing it to make fun of me, which is totally fine. They are doing it to Roseanne to try and destroy whatever is left of her career, which is really not fine. Okay, one more thing that I hate today. So apparently, if you wish to be cast in a movie, all you have to do is write a letter to the director. Did you know that? I did not know that. I thought that you actually had to be talented and good at things, but apparently not. Apparently, the best way to get a job in a movie is to write a letter to the director and ask them to change the entire shooting schedule because of your minority status. This is apparently what happened with uh, the new Barbie movie. So the new Barbie movie is going to be a woke bleep show. Just putting it out there right now. It'll make a lot of money. Their marketing campaign is absolutely stellar. They, they've really gone over the top with marketing. I've never seen a movie, I think, marketed as heavily as I've seen this Barbie movie marketed. And the reason they're marketing it this way is because it really is heavily political. And Time Magazine says that it's heavily political. There's an entire article in Time Magazine with a picture of so many strong, beautiful women and one man staring off into the sunset called How Barbie came to life. And uh, the entire article is about the magic and politics. It's on the cover of Time magazine. It's about the magic and politics of, uh, of, of the movie. Quote, if you are wondering whether Barbie is a satire of a toy company's capitalist ambition, a searing indictment of the current fraught state of gender relations, a heartwarming, if occasionally cliched tribute to girl power, or a musical spectacle feared, filled with earworms from Nicki Minaj and Dua Lipa, the answer is yes. All of the above and then some. So uh, just how political is this going to be? Well, I mean, political enough that you probably shouldn't take your uh, kids to see it. What is it? What is the Barbie movie actually going to be rated? Um, I, I let me see the the rating. The rating on the Barbie movie is um, PG thirteen. Okay, so uh, it is it's going to be filled with politics, and one of the people who is going to be starring is a person named Harry Neff, who is a uh, who is a man. So Neff thirty published a letter that she. This is the Time Magazine writing. Obviously, I only use male pronouns to refer to people who um who uh, are male. She wrote to Gerwig and Robbie asking to play one of the Barbies in the film. 
She says that as a trans woman, she feels ambivalent about the word doll, a slang term in queer culture for trans women, particularly those who celebrate the high femme. The word can feel at once aspirational and oppressive. It's a tricky word that holds for me anyway, such a strict standard created by the patriarchy that deserves to be scrutinized, but also a promise of liberation and safety and belonging, she says. At the very least, there's a juicy performance as a doll somewhere in there. So Harry Neff actually published a letter asking to uh, to be allowed in the movie, and uh, they acquiesced because trans rights are women's rights because men are women. So uh, here is the poster, one of the posters. They have all these posters to the various types of Barbie. This is a man who says that he is a woman named, uh, named Harry Neff, and it says, this Barbie is a doctor, which is, oh, the irony that even in Barbie world, the assumption that all, doctor, all doctors are males, very insulting, very insulting. I mean, this doctor, this Barbie is a dude. So there is that as well. Now, the amazing necessity of just cramming politics in here is amazing. The article says, quote, Alexandra Ship, who plays an author Barbie, also projected onto the dolls as a child. Ship 31 rode on Warner Brothers' Barbie float in the West Hollywood Pride Parade this year and reflects that Barbie helped her explore aspects of her identity. When you're a kid, your toys are an extension of who you are and how you can exist in the world as an adult, says Ship. Sure, I had Ken's. When I played house, I had two Barbies raising a skipper. Oh, uh, get ready, folks. It's going to be liberated Barbie time. Uh, yeah, Hollywood's going to push this thing as hard as humanly possible because this is what Hollywood will do. So uh, just be advised that when your teenage girl asks if she can see the Barbie movie, this is what she will be seeing. Uh, that this is not an apolitical, fun-friendly family film or anything remotely like it. It's going to be a heavily politicized film about the evils of the American patriarchy and capitalism and all the rest. And they want your money. All right, you guys, the rest of the show continues right now. You're not going to want to miss it. We'll get into the vaunted Ben Shapiro Show mailbag. If you're not a member, become a member. Use code Shapiro. Check out for two months free on all annual plans. Click that link in the description and join us. <laughs> We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 